It comes from Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable of Jesus, and it's, um, it's kind of neat because a lot of times Jesus just puts the parable out there, and then you just got to kind of work on it. Uh, this is one that he actually gives us an interpretation for a lot of the elements. So we're going to read both the parable and then uh, a bit of the interpretation as well. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky soil where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I'm going to skip over to verse 18 now. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. Um, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60 and another 30. Good morning, church. Y'all must have got woken up somewhere. That's good. I'm so glad. Um, um, this is one of my favorite parables, and there's a lot of different ways that I want to preach it. Um, but I, I, think the, I think the thing we need to hear today is all about that ending. 30, 60, 100 times it was sown. So uh, a few years back, I used to um, I used to meet a friend of mine, uh, a guy named Gene. Gene, if by some reason you happen to be listening today, thanks, buddy. Um, he, he was talking to me about preaching. He was a very, uh, he was an encourager for pastors is what Gene was. And uh, he was talking to me about preaching. And he said to me, Mike, how many, how many people do you think you preach to on a Sunday? And at that time, the church I was worshiping at, we worshiped like 250-ish on a Sunday. And so I said, well, you know, it depends on the time of year, you know, ups and downs. Let's just say on average 250. And he said, okay, that's 250 people in your pew. But each of those people, they know at least 100 people, right? So in theory, you could be preaching to, to 25,000 people. But, you know... They're not going to see all 100 people every week. They're not going to talk. But what about 10? If each of your people was talking to 10 people throughout the week? Brother, you could be preaching to 2,500 people. That was an important conversation between me and him, right? 
Because it's given me a glimpse into something about the kingdom of heaven that sometimes I forget. My friend's a pretty smart guy, and, uh, and I want to believe that he's right. Even today. You know, the numbers here are different, right? We've got probably between 50 and 60 people here today. But I think that principle still stands. Y'all know at least 10 people you're going to see this week? So I want to think about the reach of what we do here on Sunday being a lot bigger than just the folks in these walls. I want to think about the reach that we, that we have as being in the hundreds, maybe thousands. And I don't think that's unrealistic. And I think that's the way that God designed it to be. See, God, God doesn't work his gospel additively. He does it through multiplication. You're not meant to be the end of the line for the message that you hear today. You're not supposed to be the end user of the gospel. If gospel seeds have been sown into your heart, God intends it to grow and bear more seeds. Remember, in the parable that we read today, Jesus says of the, of the good soil, what, what's grown there, 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. He doesn't say that like it's an edge case. He doesn't say, and in some rare circumstances, 30 times. No, this is presented as what's natural. This is what's baked into the illustration. When you sow a kernel of wheat, you don't get back one kernel of wheat. It's multiplied. It's presented to us as the natural way that the kingdom of heaven is supposed to work. It's the way that the good news of, of the kingdom of heaven should be heard, understand, and applied. So, if you had your pick in the story, which soil would you prefer to be? the good soil. I think we'd all prefer that. And if that's true of you, then the yield expected is 30, 60, or 100 times what's put into you. Now, just because that's the natural process, that doesn't mean it's automatic. Jesus explains that it often doesn't happen this way. There are enemies to the multiplication of the gospel. There's a hardness of heart, which Jesus calls hearing the word but not understanding it. Now, obviously, this can take a lot of forms. Uh, you know, if, if somebody's preaching the gospel in a language you don't understand, it's unlikely that that's going to take root. But that's just a surface level. I, I think that there's a lot of folks for whom they hear the gospel, but it, it doesn't sink in because they just don't buy into the Jesus stuff. They don't think that the world works the way the kingdom of heaven works. And, uh, and, and that, that's out there. 
But I think a lot of those folks aren't really listening for the gospel anyways. There's another kind of hardness of not understanding that is probably more common for people who hear the gospel. And that's the hardness of thinking that you're just, you're all right. The gospel have very little impact on people who think that they're doing just fine without it. The word of God is life. Jesus says that the word of God is more vital to us than food. It's higher than the highest philosophies of man, and God reveals that truth to those of lowly estate. The, the, the word understanding here, I don't think it's meant to be an intellectual problem. It's a problem of pride. When we neglect God's word because we, we don't think we know it well enough or or when we don't take it to heart because we think it's talking about other people, well, then it just sits there on the top. And the devil swoops in, grabs it, carries it away. The second complication, the second enemy of this gospel multiplication is a superficial faith. Um, I, knew a, I knew a pastor um, who had a very rapidly growing church. They went from, you know, zero to several hundred rapidly. And they had designed everything to be easily accessible. And it was. And then they had this crisis where people would shoot up quick and then they'd fall away. And he said to me, you know, our, our problem isn't getting people in. Our problem is that we've got a several hundred people with an ankle-deep faith. I think that's kind of what's being described here. When it falls on, when, when, when the seed falls on rocky soil, God's root word takes root, and, and, and it takes our view. If it's just a little bit of advice to get you going, it'll never transform you. But when, when it takes proper root, it's transformative, right? The gospel is supposed to change how we view ourselves and our neighbor, in our church, in our community, in our, in our vocation, and it flips all that stuff on its head. But many folks aren't looking for that sort of transformation. They don't want their worldview turned upside down. They don't want to they, they serve the seed, right? Which is what the gospel, uh, what, what the soil does. They just want to give the seed a little greenery. They just want the seed to give a little greenery to the field. A little religious appearance to help them look good. A little dose of scripture to help them feel better. And that sort of soil gets immediate results. People might not notice right away because superficial faith is often very interested in what it looks like to others. But superficial faith isn't transformative. So what happens when suffering comes? If you've, had, if you've never had a pastor preach to you about how suffering's going to come, you're going to be shocked. If you think the gospel is about having a really nice time right now, you're going to be shocked and shook, shooken, shaken. You will be shook. Yeah. People with a shallow faith, it, when, when, when the problems come, it burns away and blows away because there's no root there.
this could separate, you know, hypocrites from genuine Christians. It isn't always just that hypocrites don't practice what they preach. Because, I mean, like, who of us is batting a thousand on that front? I, I know I'm not. But with a shallow faith, it's easy to feel good about the appearance of righteousness and to remain oblivious about your own selfishness and foolishness and unkindness. But when the gospel seed takes deep root, repentance and humility expose our own failings. They soften our attitude toward others with kindness and understanding and love. But assuming that it didn't fall on the path and assuming that it didn't fall on the rocky soil, the seed actually gets deep down, there is still uh, one third enemy that Jesus lays out there that's fighting against the gospel multiplying amongst us. And that's, believe it or not, it's distraction that Jesus describes when he talks about the thorns. He says that the thorns are the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. That's a two-pronged attack. They're not, they're not exactly the same thing. On the one hand, thorns can be the fears that arise uh, from temporary problems, right? Those problems can be really big, like unemployment or disease or broken families. Sometimes it's a mountain of little things, you know? You've got errands to run, you've got job stress, you've got car problems, you haven't slept in, in a week. There's a million things in your life that are clamoring for your attention. And the devil wants nothing more than to just let them keep you away from nurturing, from, from letting God's word grow. On the other hand, so that's the cares of this life, but the other hand, there are thorns that are the promises, the deceitful promises of wealth. That's a lie that a lot of us buy into, you know. A lot of our problems would just go away if we just had a little bit more. If you had a little bit more, well, then you could have more time for yourself. If you had a little bit more, maybe you could have a little nicer home. You could take care of yourself better. You could fix those problems that you never seem to get ahead of. You know, the, the thing about the way the thorns are described in this, uh, in this parable, it, it isn't that it kills the wheat. It just keeps it from bearing fruit. It just sucks all the vitality out of it. Now, and this is critical for understanding this parable, there's no expectation that the good seed grows up in some carefree and manicured garden. That's not at all the picture told in this story. Jesus doesn't say that the thorns are the problems and the difficulties of this life. He doesn't say that. He says that they are the worries about those things. You know that Jesus promises that you will face hardship and suffering you will face adversity and rejection. He told us about that so that we could expect them. <laughs> he told us about that so that we don't have to worry about them happening 
And because they are bound to happen, when they happen, we have the proper perspective. When the worries and the pro- when, when, when the worrisome things, when the problems and troubles of this life come up, it doesn't mean that things are out of control. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going off course. Jesus is victorious over all of that. And he wants you to know that. The solution to those problems isn't their removal necessarily, and it isn't more wealth. It's just, it's, it's him. It's hope in him. And see, the thing is, and I asked you this earlier, and it was a bit of a trick question maybe, um, a lot of times when we read the soil, when we read the parable, we think it's all about the soil. We think it's all about like, be good soil, <laughs> you know? But, but that's, that's a weird takeaway, right? Because the soil doesn't fix itself. I don't think that this parable is for the dirt. I think this parable is for the sowers. That's who you are in this parable. You've got this inexhaustible bag of gospel seeds. This parable is trying to show you that, you know, you're going to sow, and you should sow widely and generously. In this parable, the sower sows places that are just ridiculous. He sows like crazy, and you know why? And no human farmer does this, right? Because the seed's precious, and you want every single seed to have the best possible shot. But you know why? He only has so much seed. He's got to make it count. The, the sower in this parable does the exact opposite because he's got a bottomless bag of seed. He can afford to throw it everywhere. Because what if there's some good soil over there that he doesn't recognize yet? Or what if this soil over here that he thought was good soil actually is rocky? So he just sows generously. He sows wildly. He sows crazy, right? Because he's got a bag of seed that will never run out. We're supposed to sow generously. Because I think like in the parable, most of it's not going to grow. Most of it's not going to bear fruit. But you know when it does? makes a huge difference. A lot of the seeds are going to fall on, on rocky ground or, or, or hard-packed path, but you know what? When it takes root, it makes a huge difference in that person's life and then in the 30, 60, or 100 other people's lives that those seeds get to go into. I wish I could promise you that you're going to have a high batting average with the gospel, right? Uh, I've been at this gospel game for a while now, and I'm telling you, it's not a high percentage game. But when it hits, it's huge. So uh, here's what we're going to do. I want to go ahead and pray about this, all right? Because I know a lot of folks maybe... Maybe we're a little bit more private with our faith. Maybe we're not used to sharing the gospel, but I know that's where God wants us to be. There's probably at least 10 people in your life that God wants you to share the gospel with this week. And maybe that makes you very uncomfortable. So let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us today to break through our hardness of heart, 
remove the barriers to a deep and transformative faith, free us from the worries and the lies of this world. We pray, Lord, that you'll nourish the gospel seeds that you've sown into us, that they could grow and multiply in us. And then we pray, Lord, that, that as we go out to sow the gospel into the lives of people around us, we pray for those who are gonna hear it this week and in the coming weeks. We pray that you would give them grace to believe it, to understand it, to be transformed by it, trust in you, so that those seeds would make an eternal difference in their lives, in the lives of countless generations sprawling out from there. We thank you, Lord, for the folks who shared the gospel with us. We give you thanks for the testimony that they brought and for the change that that's made, the difference that's made in our lives. All these things we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.